Rock Church. How are you this morning? Oh man, that was heartfelt. Let's try it again. How are you this morning? Good. Good. Well, uh, I have the uh, honor of continuing in our series. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Anderson and I'm on staff here as a pastor and, and work primarily with one of the best groups in the whole world, and that is young adults. And so, yes, come on now. So, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, which really leads me to my next point. Um, <laughs> I need to ask for your forgiveness. I need to repent to you, Antioch Church, because if you notice when I came up here, I kind of came up here like an old man. I limped up here and I've been limping around this morning. And, and I thought to myself, if you know the story, Jacob, man, he wrestled with God all night and he touched his hip and he walked with a limp. And I just thought, man, if I just limp around up here, they'll think I wrestled with God over this sermon. And I'm just, just under the, no, the truth is I'm working with young adults. It's these young adults you put me with, Pastor Jade. So it's like Adam looking at Eve. Is this woman? Is this, you, you, this, this nexus group you gave me. They took me to the gym. I like go there like once or twice a year. And he's like, let's do squats. Now, I don't know if you've ever done squats like cold, but you know, there's a scene from, from a movie it makes me think of is Lord of the Rings. It's a powerful movie. It's, it's like uncanonized scripture, really. <laughs> And in it, thank you, (laughs) and in it, there's this scene where he says, one does not walk into Mordor. And I thought to myself today, one does not just walk after leg day. You know, I was like, so please, you know, I just wanted to come clean, forgive me. I just want the spirit of God to reign here, amen? Amen. I'm excited uh, about tonight, uh, tonight, today's sermon, and uh, we're going to be continuing our journey through the Lord's Prayer, delving into uh, what is known as the first petition of Jesus's prayer, meaning hallowed be thy name. And uh, man, when Pastor Jade gave this to me, I thought to myself, finally, something I can just preach the snot out of. We're going to talk about the names of God, Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. And I thought, man, that's, you know, after the last one he gave me, you know, the protocol of prayer, I was like, okay, that was a little dry. Thank you, Pastor Drade. But I thought, oh man, he's throwing me a bone and here we go. And as I came before the Lord, he just kind of laughed. He said, oh, son. Uh, and he said, I need you to get that fleshly, soulish desire out of your heart because I've got some place I want to go. And it is deep. And so today, this morning, I want to invite you, let's go deep into his word. This prayer, I mean, you look at it just at the surface and it, and it can be very trite. Hallowed be thy name, God. We just want to worship you because you're good. But there's so much involved in hallowed be thy name. And the truth is, as I was thinking about this, meditating on it, I realized that in order to really understand the the power of hallowed be thy name, to, to really understand the import and how it affects our lives of hallowed be thy name, there's a couple of concepts that have already thus far been addressed that I think we need to just clearly restate and review because it really is gonna provide the foundation upon which we can garner God's truth and God's purpose in hallowed be thy name for us. 
So that being said, I want to jump into our father. This, the first concept I want to jump into is the issue of God's eminence. A couple of weeks ago, uh, weeks ago, Pastor Jade spoke on the fatherhood of God. And as Jonathan pointed out so deftly last week, this highlights the eminence of God. So what is the eminence of God really? And uh, my wife was like, wait, is there a difference between eminence and immanence? And I said, yeah, there is. The eminence of God with an I actually means that God's just, he's about to establish his kingdom. He's really close to doing it. But the immanence of God in the dictionary is defined as existing or operating within. See, God is existing and operating in the created universe. He's here right now. Everything that we're doing, he's a part of. It goes on to say that God is permanently pervading and sustaining the universe. That if God were to be deistic, which refers to a theology of God that says that in his, he is so transcendent, he's so distant that he just created everything, wound up the clock, cast it out there and said, all right, I'm just gonna watch from afar and you guys are on your own. No, but God, God is imminent. He's here. And without him, we would cease to exist. He holds all things together by his powerful personality and word. In other words, God is near to us. Is that encouraging you this morning? That is an encouragement to me. God is close. I don't, I mean, even when I'm going through great times, it encourages me to know that I'm not alone. And when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it encourages me to know that God is with me. I see his rod and his staff, it comforts me. See, God is so involved in our lives that in, even in the presence of our enemies, he is setting a table for us. That's encouraging to me. And that is the imminence of God. God is wholly present with and active in the creative order. God is near us. Just listen to some of these, these thoughts as presented by some scholars on the imminence of God. It says he's present with us. He's active on earth and involved in our world. He's present and active in nature, in history, in our lives. He acts in this world and dwells with his people, even in regions of the earth. I would tell you this, this morning, even in regions of the earth where there is not a single person, God is there and he's actively involved. What's happening? That's how involved God is. And he relates to us as our father. The incarnation is the supreme example of, of, of this course. It's Jesus who was and is God. He, he became one of us. You have to understand that God is also transcendent and we're gonna get there, but just to make this point, God is wholly separate from us. He's totally different. I mean, he is so different and bigger and greater and over us. We, without his help, could never even begin to think about him and understand him. That's how big he is. And God says, I'm going to become a man. He became a man. He took upon himself human likeness and lived, worked, and died among us. Athanasius says it this way. He says, 
He, speaking of Jesus, became what we are so that we might become like he is. God became like we are so that we can become like he is. And this is the power of the eminence of God. No matter what we're walking through, Jesus became a man and he is making me forever into a perfect reflection of his glory. And just as Jesus is the perfect radiance of God's glory, so God is forming and making me, he's washing me into the same radiance and glory of God. Can someone say amen? That is some good stuff. All right, let's move on. The, the idea of God's eminence, thank you. The, the idea of God's eminence is well received in the church today. And most Christians identify with this concept quite easily. Listen to the words of this popular worship song. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. We are his portion and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking, and I quote, ha ha. It's there, I just want to be true to the text. <laughs> so heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. Now, I don't know about you, but if a kiss is going to be sloppy and wet, you got to be pretty close. You got to be really close. Okay. And that's how close God is. I mean, I, we can laugh about it, but it is, it is a comforting thought. It, I mean, God loves us so much and he's close to us. He's closer than our next breath. He's closer than our next heartbeat. And that is the power of the imminence. Of God. Then last week, Jonathan did an incredible job of continuing the series, Teach Us to Pray, moving us into Who Art in Heaven. And Who Art in Heaven deals primarily and solely with the transcendence of God. The dictionary defines transcendence as beyond or above the range of normal or merely physical human experience. You know what that's saying about God? That God is so far beyond us that we, without him, cannot even begin to experience him. It says that transcendence means surpassing the ordinary. It's exceptional. I never want to lose that. And, I, and I'm jumping forward in my notes here, but I think it's a good place to remind us that, man, familiarity breeds contempt. And if we focus solely on the eminence of God, that's exactly what happens. We become familiar with him and we bring him into our world as a pantheist, meaning that God is here and there is no God outside of what I experience, but there is. He's surpassing, he's exceptional. Even when I don't feel like he's exceptional, God is exceptional. Even, even when I don't sense his presence near me, God is transcendent upon, beyond my feeling and beyond my human experience. Speaking of God, it means existing apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe. Well, praise God for that, that he is not subject to the limitations of my emotions. He's not subject to the limitations of my situation. He's not, he's just not, he's not. Listen, God is not subject to the limitations of your past. I don't know if you've had a difficult past, but God is bigger. He's not subjected to that. And when he relates to you, you may think he want, you may think God relates to you as though he were disappointed, but he doesn't. He's not limited by your actions and by your failure. God is transcendent. He's not limited. 
In other words, God is immeasurably above us. He's utterly unordinary and exceptional and is above human experience. Nothing is greater, no power, no situation, no government, no person, nothing. God is transcendent. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Psalm 113 uh, verses five through six says, who is like the Lord, our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, that is transcendence, who stoops down to look on the heavens, on the earth. And you know what's beautiful? Is in the same verse, we see both God's transcendence and his eminence. He is high and enthroned. Who is like him? Yet he stoops. Listen, God is stooping to you this morning. He sto- your lowest moment, God is there. He is stooping towards you. Are you with me this morning? Isaiah chapter six, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, speaking to the transcendence of God, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple, eminence. See, what I'm trying to drill home in us this morning is that we need both God's transcendence and his eminence. We need both. For without one, the other breaks our relationship with him. Do you realize that this morning? See, the two thoughts here is that God is deistic or he is, he is pantheistic, which deism simply is, as I've mentioned already, that he wound up the universe and he's not a part. And then pantheism says, well, God, there is no God that has a personality outside of our experience. He is really just a force and a power. He inhabits all things. This, is, this plant is just, it's God. Look at it. It's just flowing and I can touch it. It's great. I'm so comforted. <laughs> no, we need both. We need, have you ever thought about, think about this for a moment with me. God's, if, have you ever heard the phrase, there's peace that surpasses all understanding? What, is, what does that mean? If we are just, if we are, we, if we are pantheistic, if we are only focused on the eminence of God, what we've effectively done is we've relegated his peace to what we can experience so that there is no peace that surpasses my understanding. We must have God's transcendence in order to tap into the transcendent nature of peace so that we can establish and receive and have a peace that doesn't make sense. You know, really the truth is Without God's transcendence, he amounts to nothing more than comfort food. You know, we come in on Sunday mornings and we want to worship the songs that we like. And, and, and to be honest with you, our worship is so frail that everything, and, and please forgive me if I'm a little harsh here, but I think God's, trans, his glory is worth it. And it, I don't want to come, our worship is so frail that it can truly be compared to and even surpassed by the worship of things in the earth. We see more worship going on in the way we watch our, we're faithful to that television show, amen. Mm, I can't miss that. <laughs> Pastor Jade, I, please forgive me, sir. 
You know, but, but on the, the flip side is true. We must have God's imminence. If God were purely transcendent, then we would never know that peace. We would never know the, the joy that remains true, stolid in the midst of trial and persecution. We would never know it. We must have God's imminence. We must have both. You know, truly in order to worship God rightly, I wrote this during worship right here. I just thought, oh my Lord, you're speaking to me right now. We'll praise the Lord for that. In order to worship God, that's the eminence of God, by the way. In order to worship God rightly or powerfully, we must have both the transcendence and eminence of God. Transcendence alone leaves us with a God we don't understand and cannot love. See, we love God because he first loved us. And if God is transcendent, then God has not loved us. And if God has not loved us, then we don't love him. No matter how much we sing, oh, how he loves us, we cannot love him rightly. We must have God's transcendence. But if we have eminence alone, we make God common, not worthy of any worship beyond the common things that we value. And he becomes familiar. The last thought here that I think I want to just touch on is, it just occurred to me again during worship. It was, you know, the enemy hates our relationship with the Lord. That's, that's what he's trying to destroy. He's trying to destroy the beautiful, holy relationship that God purchased on the cross and through his record, the resurrection. And both deism and pantheism, you know what it does? It breaks down that relationship. In order for us to have a relationship with God, we must have transcendent and, and imminent natures expressed. We do. Only a God who is both can be in relationship with man. And this morning, I think, you know, I, was, I asked myself this question, what, what, is the, what is the goal of my sermon here? There's a lot of theology. There's a lot of things. What is the goal of my theology? I don't, you know, this message. And, and really, it's, it's to strengthen our relationship with him. And out of that relationship, we can pray. We can pray your kingdom come. You know why? Because our relationship so surpasses our own desires that we don't want our kingdom come. We want his kingdom come. Yeah. That's why this is important. Our father who art in heaven, God is near yet far, majestic yet approachable, greatly to be feared yet easily to be loved. That's the God we serve. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 39, acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. Transcendence and eminence. Isaiah 57, 15, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Transcendence and eminence. And finally, Matthew chapter six, verse nine the primary passage of our sermon today and for the past number of weeks, our Father who art in heaven. Now this is, C.S. Lewis says it this way, he says, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. He writes that in a book called The Problem of Pain, birthed through the hardship of losing his wife. The Life in the Spirit New Testament commentary says of this passage, our Father who art in heaven, though the people have a close fellowship with God as Father, he is still to be revered as the High and Holy One. Their intimacy with him should never hinder their reverence of him. So now we come to hallowed be thy name. And I think 
In understanding this dual nature of God as both imminent and transcendent, I believe we've laid the foundation to understanding what Jesus is teaching us to pray when he says, hallowed be thy name. So with the fa- that foundation laid, are you ready to go with me? We're going to dive deep this morning into hallowed be thy name. And when we look at the phrase, hallowed be thy name, we can parse it down into two separate statements or two concepts or two ideas. One being hallowed be and two being thy name. And if we're really going to understand all of it together, I think the first place to start is breaking it down into its components. So I'd like to deal with the subject, thy name. This morning, I think we need to understand that the phrase here, thy name, in the Hebraic and historical understanding of names is very different. It's vastly different than our contemporary understanding of names because names today are, are merely a moniker, a title of differentiation. It's, it's something that, that really just differentiates us from someone else. You can even see this in Romeo and Juliet. What's in a name, right? That we should call a rose, a rose by any other name. It's still just as sweet. So the name really doesn't matter. But in Hebraic thought, in scripture, names are so important. One of the things I looked up here is Abram becoming Abraham. Why why is our name so important? Because to God, to scripture, and to us with a biblical worldview, we understand that names have to do with identity and purpose. Abram was high father and God changed his name to Abraham. You are going to be the father of many. This is both an identity and a purpose. And it's not one without the other. Jacob was a deceiver. His name means deceiver or supplanter. But God changed it to Israel, which means God rules or or strives with, it also means God's prince. Here in reference to God, Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology is really long. God's name becomes a summary statement of his own nature and how he has revealed himself to the world. It becomes virtually synonymous with the word God itself. When we read in scripture, thy name, we are, we're not just talking about a title. We're talking about the eminence of God. See, It's amazing to me, God in his brilliance, Jesus in his wisdom, he says, this is how we're gonna pray. Our father who art in heaven, eminence and transcendence. Now we've got to do something with that. Let's pray it into existence. Hallowed be thy name. God's name being his eminence and hallowed be meaning transcendence. So then when we begin to delve into the names of God, it means like, Jehovah Rohi. How many of you know what that means? That means God is my shepherd. The Lord, my shepherd. Psalm 23, one through three. The Lord is my shepherd. I I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Listen, God, and we're not talking, when we say, oh, God's our shepherd, it's not just a title of a distant God that has no effect on us. It's his nature. He's revealing his nature. And this is interesting. Jonathan, uh, so, you know, he said this last week and I thought this was excellent. He says, the the eminence and the transcendence of God are not at war with, with one another. That they're intention, they're intention with one another. That we have to balance them. And I would even push that a step further and say, all God's eminence is, is really his self revealed 
nature, transcendent nature. It's him revealing his transcendent nature in the earth. That's all that imminence is. So when we, this is why this is powerful. And now my, my notes are all over the place because I'm delving into it, but it just makes sense. If we understand that hallowed be thy name is a reference to transcendence of God, it's bigger than, that means, this is so important, please get this. That means when I say, God, you're my shepherd, no experience in my life can change God's nature. Nothing can change God's nature, even when it looks like it didn't come through. Even when it looks like how I thought, it doesn't look like how I thought it was gonna look like. Even then God is Jehovah-Rohi. Why? Because in his transcendent nature, my experience cannot change. He's revealed his, it can't change. Jehovah Rapha, God that heals. Matthew chapter 9, 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. In Psalm 103, it says, praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So we know, we know that God is a healer. But what happens when he doesn't heal? Is he a liar? And, and this is, a, this, I submit with all humility, I come before you and I am only giving to you, not my opinion, but what scripture is saying, that God is still a healer even when, he, even when we don't see him heal as we want him to. There are many names of God. I'd encourage you to go and, look them up and I've got them all here and I don't have even remotely the time to walk through them all. But just think about this. The Lord is peace. What do we do with that when, when we don't feel peace? And if we limit God to his eminence, if we limit God to right here, then we limit his peace to us feeling good. Jehovah Shema. The Lord is near or present. These are all reflections of a transcendent God. Excuse me. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide for you. It's important to understand as we read this scripture that these names are not just honorary titles. They are names that stand for God himself and all that is revealed about himself. God's name is his expressed and revealed eminence. Genesis chapter four, verse 26 in the NIV says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Why? Why did they call on the name? Why did they call on it? If it were just a title, why would I call on the name of the Lord? Because when we call on the name of God, it's more than just using a moniker to address him. We are calling on his character, his reputation, his attributes, his power, and his presence. We are calling on his imminent nature. Expressing his transcendent nature. (laughs) So thy name is an expression of who God is. It's him revealing himself to us. It's the eminence of God. But hallowed be thy name. The the definition of this is to honor as holy, but it also means to make holy or to consecrate. This is very interesting to me. I'm gonna make, okay, so I'm praying. Our Father who art in heaven, make your name holy. Well, 
How can God make his name more holy than it already is? He can't. What, what, is, what is really being communicated here? Live in the Spirit New Testament commentary says the verb hallowed emphasizes that God is holy and set apart. R.C. Sproul, a well-known speaker, author, and apologeticist, defines holy like this. And bear with me, it's a little lengthy, but it's going somewhere. The primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. Perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above something. When we find a garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that has a superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above. When the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. So when God says, listen, I need you to be holy as I am holy, what is he saying? He's saying, I need you to, to begin to tap into the eternal character of God that I've placed inside of you called my spirit. I, you, I'm pulling you up into a transcendent place. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. So when we speak of God's holiness, we are truly speaking of the transcendent nature of God. Another scholar writes concerning God's holiness, he, he states it this way, he says, this means that God is other and set apart from everything else, that he is in a class by himself. God is not just quantitatively different than us, he's qualitatively different than us. He's different in his greatness. He is transcendent infinitely above or beyond. This true God is distinct, set apart from all that he has made as the only, only true self-sufficient being. And it goes on, and I'm just gonna skip forward here. But the point is that we again are seeing the, tensions, uh, the tension of transcendence and eminence. Our Father who art in heaven, eminence and transcendence, hallowed, make holy or make transcendent God's name, God's expressed eminence. So this is going somewhere. Now, now, now we're getting down. Why is that so important? Is this just a debate for theology people? A.W. Tozer says that in, in Knowledge of the Lord, he says, our thoughts of God are the most important thing about us. And not just for system, uh, systematic theology, but for practical Christian living. And this morning, I just wanna to touch on how. How is this important to me? How is this important to me in my life today? How is this gonna change my prayer life? Number one, it's important because in Jesus' prayer, hallowed be your name, we are seeing the possibility, and I would even say the probability that God's name might not be set apart, that God's holy otherness might not be recognized. And this arising from the fact that humankind uses that name and abuses that name. Jonathan says this last week, he said, God is not just a functional part of our lives. What Jesus is asking in essence in this prayer, hallowed be your name, that, that Greek word, what is the, the Greek word that Jesus used? Not just our present day dictionary, but what is Jesus saying? He says the Greek word here means to make holy sanctified. That is to say, to set something in a state opposed to common. Have we made God's name common? Have we limited God's name to what we experience? Well, he's Jehovah Rapha, God our healer, as long as I experience healing. 
The second part of this, this, this word, Greek word, where there is something already common to deliver it from that state and put it into a state corresponding to the revealed nature of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's not possible. Is Jesus truly asking God who is already perfect and wholly superior to sanctify himself? Or, or is he asking us to make God more holy? No, we can't. God is perfect in every way, shape and form. I can't make him more holy. But you know what I can do? I can make my thoughts about him more holy. What Jesus is asking us in this prayer is that we understand that as God's nature, as he has expressed himself to be lifted up from the common experience of man and made holy. That God's name through the work of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of our minds would be made holy in us. So Jesus says, our father who art in heaven, you're both imminent and transcendent. You're great and amazing and you're breaking into this earth. Praise God, hallowed be thy name. Help us, father, to, to see you accurately. Help lift our thoughts of you. Help lift our, our judgments of you out from the mire of human experience into the transcendent and beautiful and divine realm of the holy. Hallowed. God, hallowed be your name. Forgive me for, for casting aspersions on your name, for trying to use it for my own benefit. God, your it is bigger than me. And it's bigger than my experience. And, and you want to know the truth, Antioch? I want it that way. I need it that way. Because a man dying on a cross in the physical doesn't make sense that he would save my life, but it does. Another example here, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. This is a name of God through which God is revealing an aspect of his nature as a healer. What Jesus is asking that God, our healer, would be recognized and made holy and set apart. So set apart that nothing can touch it that nothing can shape it. No, no lofty philosophy, nor the physical experience of man, nothing can touch the holiness of God as a healer. Even if my experience in this life do not match up with my understanding of God as a healer, I still honor and worship him as a healer because he is who he is. Doesn't that sound familiar? He is who he is. In Exodus chapter three, we see Moses at the burning bush. He's receiving direction from the Lord on God's plan to free Israel from Egypt. And it is interesting to me that he, when he comes into the presence of, the, the, of God, of the bush, here he is again, okay? When he comes, God says, take your sandals off, why? Because where you're treading right now is holy. God created a space in this time and place. And he said, you are now, you're not on some mountain in the backwoods. You are entering into the transcendent nature of God. Remove your sandals for you, where you stand. Is, it's holy ground. But that's not the point. Let's move forward. Exodus chapter three, verses 11 through 14. Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that I, it is I who have sent you. When you've brought them out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Let's just pause here for a second. God has given everything Moses needed to accomplish his purpose. 
And he said, I am with you and I will provide everything you need. And so, so this next portion becomes very important for us to understand. What is Moses trying to accomplish? It says, then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Most scholars and even, and, and every resource that I actually read on the account agree that Moses' question is an attempt to get some leverage over God by having the power of his name. In other words, God, you're expressing yourself to me. And I want to know what the name is so that later I can invoke that name when I deem it's appropriate when I deem it's important to do the things that I want you to do. And, and, and God just said, same way he looked at me, he's like, oh, son, I just am who I am. And that's enough. And that's enough. See, the problem is, is that we inevitably in our fallenness begin to attempt and use God's name for our benefit. And this is, what it, this is what it means to take God's name in vain, to use it for a purpose outside of his purpose. Living in the Spirit, New Testament Bible commentary states, I'm almost through, Are you guys still with me? Hallowed by your name, speaking of this passage, in the case of God, he is holy other. This reflects the Hebrew respect for God's name that is evident at the burning bush. When Moses inquired God's name and received an answer, I am who I am, Moses was not given a name so that he could use it magically to manipulate God into acceding to his requests. And now we get to a very difficult aspect of this teaching. God understood then, Jesus understands now, when he said, pray, hallowed be thy name, that as humans, we're going to take the imminent revelation of God and use it out of fear or misunderstanding. When things get stressful, when things happen that we don't understand, we're going to want to take God's, he says, this is who I am, I'm a healer or I'm a provider. We're going to want to take that, say, okay, if you're a provider, then you're going to provide this way at this time. Understanding God as Jehovah Jireh, in understanding that, we don't, we're not, we, we're, not under, we're not trying to force God's hand. We're not trying to use his character as a provider to provide for a particular bill in the timing that we need or want it. Rather, we present our need to the Lord as provider and trust that God will provide because it is who he is. God, you're a provider. And it may not look like how I thought it was going to be, but in some way that I don't understand, you are truly providing. Why do I know this? Because it's who you are and you can't be contrary to who you are. How do we know that the difficulty of life is not providing directly the provision that we actually need? How do we know that the difficulties that we walk through are not actually providing stamina, perseverance, character, hope? And isn't that what Paul says? That this is what suffering does in our lives? How do we know? God's saying, listen, Jesus is telling us today, 
Wow. When you pray, pray this way. Oh, God, hallowed be your name. Oh, forgive me for trying to make you do what I want to do because of my understanding of you. A good, good reference, I'll just give this to you, a good reference on this, I think, is A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, chapters 1, 2, 13, 4. I mean, just it's littered throughout the entire thing. But I mean, he, he just goes into, he delves deeply into this concept that and we try to, we, we have thoughts of God, and what happens is we make those thoughts God. We make our thoughts of God, God. And so become idolatrous. And isn't that what the Israelites did when, they, when Moses went on the mountain? They, they created a calf of gold. And when, you know what they said? This is Yahweh. They didn't say this is some God from, from Egypt. They didn't say that. They didn't say it was, this is a, the mole, God of mole. No, they said this is, this is Elohim. This is God. This is the God who saved us in Egypt. I don't have time to really jump into that, but I am on the last page of my notes. If you'll give me five minutes to wrap this up. God is asking us to pray with greater passion, I think, than ever before. He's, he's taking Antioch Church on a journey. And I think he's trying to dig out some things that have been hindering us from experiencing the fullness of his kingdom. Listen, we've only talked about one reason why this is important. A good example of this and is uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And uh, we'll pick up the story. You know, they were supposed to bow down and worship this idol. And, you know, the music is supposed to start, and everybody's supposed to bow down to this huge golden statue of the king. And the music starts, and these three dudes, they say, no way. We're not doing it because God is God. He is who he is, and we're not doing it. And the king looks at them, and he says this. He says, but if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. <laughs> he is who he is. But if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Now, I love this. He will, he will deliver us out of your hand. And we assume that means God's going to pull them out of the fire, but I don't think so. Whether they burn in that fire or God pulls them out, he has delivered them from the king, Nebuchadnezzar. But, I love that. However, even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. He is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Okay. The second and much shorter point to why this is so important for us. Pastor Jade, forgive me, I'm just gonna touch on this. But the next phrase is, your kingdom come, your will be done. How many of you want God's will done in your life? How many of you want to see God's kingdom established in the earth? I do. We're not just waiting for some glory 
train to take us, take us into the Netherlands, you know, into the beyond. But we're, I want God, I want to see, God, what are you going to do in this earth? What do you want to do? When Jesus, when he, when he would preach, he would heal people and say, the kingdom of God is near you. Well, I want to see more of the kingdom. Unless God's name, his revealed character and nature be made holy and transcendent in us, we are left, unless that happens, we are left trying to force God to be a God according to our understanding, our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. And should this happen, this is why this is important, should this happen, then the following phrase of Jesus' prayer ceases to be thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and becomes my kingdom come my will be done. The entirety of Jesus' prayer then becomes a prayer for ourselves, for the sake of ourselves. If you look at every, I mean, look at everything, every petition, give us our daily bread. That's a prayer for us. But when we make, see what happens is we, 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 we make a God, we fashion God in our own image, in the image of our desires, in the image of our understanding. And then what happens is we say, when we pray, we're not really praying your kingdom come. What we're really praying is my king. I want what I want to happen. That's what I want. But by, pray, by telling us to pray, hallowed be thy name, Jesus is setting God in his rightful place as transcendent, making the Lord's prayer one that may be for us, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation, but not for our sakes, the, but for the sakes of the kingdom, for the sake of the king. Thank you for that music. It was perfect. <laughs> Let me just say that again as we, as we close today. Jesus setting God in his rightful place as transcendent makes the Lord's prayer one that may be for us, but is for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of the king. That's why this is important. Church, the mega church, the, the awesome church in America, the Western church, that's, 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 we make it about ourselves and it becomes our kingdom. We make church about ourselves. We make his names about ourselves, but God is saying, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. This is about my kingdom come and about my will be done. Any gift you receive according to my nature is not for your sake alone. Oh, I love you but it's not for your sake alone. You, you experience healing, that healing is not for you. It's for my kingdom. It's for my will. So hallowed be thy name. God, would you, would you sanctify us through and through? Would you sanctify our understanding of you? Help us to not lose your transcendence in the beauty of your eminence. This morning, I feel the Holy Spirit just challenging us to go deeper and further in prayer than we've ever been before. God, would you just, would you change us? Would you make us and mold us? Father, would you, would you transform us? Would you wash us? God, renew our minds as it pertains to you. Hallowed be thy name. 
We just activate that right now, God. We just say, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the God, our provider, but we say it is holy and it's transcendent. We may not understand it, but God, we give you all the glory due your name and we praise your name because it is who you are. Hallowed be your name, God. Hallowed be your name. Emmanuel, God with us. Hallowed be your name. Even your eminence, would you, would you help us to make it holy? That in our intimacy, we would not trade it. We would not trade it away for human experience. In Jesus' name, amen. take just a second here and help rise up a little bit and and invite you into an understanding of what we perceive the Father is doing in this body. We don't want to presume that what He's doing in this body is what He's doing in every body, but as we seek God for wisdom and understanding on what He's forming inside of us, this is what we perceive. You really can't peg Antioch down in one particular expression of of church we are charismatic and we believe in uh, many elements of what we could pin as the charismatic church but we're not just charismatic we have our roots in the new apostolic reformation and prophetic movement but i wouldn't say that that's solely and wholly who we are You couldn't say we're just a reformed church. You wouldn't say that we're just a high church, although there's elements of those uh, components of those churches within us. And that's because we have purposed a long time ago that we want our expression to be an expression that fully reflects who Christ is and his kingdom. And we don't want to get lost in an expression alone. Now, one of the things that we've identified, and this is natural, one of the things that we've identified is when you lean too too far on the imminence of God, we begin to become very presumptuous. And theology matters because theology affects the way that we perceive everything, like praying for something and it not happening. Our theology affects that. It affects the way we look at God after we pray and we don't get what we expect. It affects everything. And so one of the things that we've identified is that we need to, and this is prophetic in nature, we need to speak prophetically into some of the leaning over onto this high eminence, which results in probably an exaggerated dominion of man. We need to pull that back over a little bit. Now, again, if we fall too, too far over on the sovereignty and transcendent nature of God, we won't pray at all because we'll just relegate this to, well, God's sovereign, he'll just do whatever he wants. No, no, it's a, it's a perfect tension. And here's what I'd like to propose to you today, you guys. Another word we can use for that word tension because everything that Pastor Dan was mentioning today is a tension. Another word we could use there is mystery. How does God function completely and perfectly within that tension. It's a mystery. And where there's mystery, God invites us to worship. So I want to 
invite you to stand with me. And we want to close by worshiping this transcendent yet imminent God, recognizing that every name that he is self-disclosed to us is an invitation to discover, not presume that we know. So if you just bow your heads and bow your heart before the almighty God this morning. Righteous, just, and true you are. Utterly and completely different. In a class all by yourself. Yet you have condescended yourself. You have willingly lowered yourself. Taking the very nature of a man. Who in very nature was God. Yet you became man so that you might identify with us and that you might purchase us that you might redeem us that you might restore us back unto our imago day the glory of God you have hidden inside of mankind this mystery brings us wonder this mystery causes us to pause this mystery elicits worship in our hearts Father, today we tread boldly and yet we tread softly. We tread confidently, audaciously, and yet we tread ignorantly. We tread humbly. Pray, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would keep us in perfect tension as we respond to the mystery. We want to know your name not so that we can abuse your name, not so that we can use your name just with a utilitarian motive. We wanna know your name so that we can reverence and worship and so we can manifest your name. And so I pray this over you, Antioch. May the Lord be unto you a shepherd. May the Lord be unto you a God who is near and ever present. May the Lord be unto you a God who is righteous and who sanctifies you. May the Lord be unto you a God who provides perfectly, justly. May the Lord be unto you healer and banner. May the Lord be unto you all that he is, for all he is is enough. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.